Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Lily Doolin. Lily's a marriage and family psychotherapist with a master's degree in psychology and a master of fine arts in creative writing from Antioch University in Los Angeles. She played an instrumental role in starting the LGBTQ Affirmative Psychology Specialization at Antioch and holds a master's of art degree in teaching from Simmons College in Boston, Massachusetts. She's also a certified heart of yoga teacher and studied spiritual coursework at Agape International Spiritual Center under the tutelage of Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith. Lily created a heart-centered system of healing and moving through trauma called the name work. After her first daughter, Kara Meyer Doolin, died at home from SIDS at two months old, Lily started a foundation, the Kara Love Project. It has teamed with local, national, and international organizations such as the Unadi Foundation in Nepal, Venice Arts in Los Angeles, and Foster Nation to serve marginalized communities. And she lives with her husband's husband and kids in the LA area. Welcome, Lily. Thank you. It's so great to be here. It's so great to have you and um, talk about your your unique work what you've what you've made of your loss um but of course we we have to start with the inspiration for that loss um which was the loss of your your child um and and in particular what stood out to me was it seemed like the moment where you were sort of home free after a lot of difficulty um so I felt I felt you on that that to have it happen at that moment when you had had kind of relaxed into everything's okay must have been particularly wrenching or undoing. Yes, it was just earth-shattering, world-shattering beyond belief. I had um you know, broken free from you know, addiction, um, and stopped drinking. Um, we went through, uh, rounds and rounds of in vitro fertilization, um, to have Kara. Um, I spent two months in the hospital before she was born. And so bringing her home was really a community celebration. Um, a cel- a celebration of moving into motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood with with community, and um, and um, as soon as we got her home, you know, um, we had her home for two months, and then she was gone, and um, 
We had a big welcoming ceremony in our yard where there was much celebration. Um, and then a week later, the same people were gathered um, to say uh, their goodbyes. And really it was a, the community was in mourning. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I'm a parent, so I've, I've hung out with newborns. Um, there's, there's, it's almost like you're not two separate beings at that point. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I can imagine that you, you didn't know who you were, <laughs> you know, like um, along with just the, the grief and loss is kind of, um, uh, fractured identity, I guess. Yeah, and I feel like the fog of grief protected me. I, I believe like the fog that we feel in grief is a great protector. Perhaps it's even given from God, you know. Um, just uh, so I didn't feel the enormity of it. And there was a moment in time, and I write about it in my book, Giving Grief Meaning, um, where for a moment that fog was lifted and I felt the searing pain of what had just happened. And just when I thought I would, you know, almost fall over, um, the fog reemerged and um, I understood why it was there. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't make it any easier. It was awful and dark. Um, but I think the fog uh, kept me alive, the fog of grief. That's interesting to hear you say because, of course, um, when you're in recovery, you you become pretty committed to having the feelings, right? <laughs> and, yes. Uh, you know, facing feelings and, you know, not, not sidestepping because that's a dangerous proposition, you know, uh, that's... But you're talking about something very different, which just is the body's decision. Yes. Almost. Yes. Uh, it wasn't your decision to not have the feelings right away. Your body decided. That's right. That's right. And um, since that time, I've been able to talk with many people who are who uh, tormented over the fog. Um, why can't I feel? Why can't I feel? Why won't the tears come? And um, I'm able to put it into uh, the context of transformation, all things in divine time, God's speed. And um, mm -hmm. so... Um, it's, it's very interesting to me because I've been thinking a lot about... Um, over the whole time I've done the show, but particularly lately, about the 10 years that my wife was ill. And when she died, I didn't feel as if I went into a fog. But mm. that was after a ton of practice, <laughs> you know. Um, I, 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 I had almost stopped having a denial mechanism. Mm -hmm. over the course of that time. So my body didn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I also didn't feel negative right away. I, I see. 
you know, I felt connected to her for eh, five, six weeks. Um, but not the same as what I've heard many people describe and what you're describing, kind of being blank or numb or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, foggy. Mm -hmm. That I didn't experience. And I don't that? think, um, you know, the Buddhists talk about Bardo, you know, being able to, because I didn't know her. I didn't have a chance to get to know her, you know, intimately. So the connection was still there. Um, and she would, she would shower me with uh, meaningful symbols so that we could still connect. But the weight of losing an infant, that part of the grief was, um, I was protected from. Yeah. So I could and still, I still feel, she would send orchids my way. Um, mm. uh, because I kept an orchid plant alive in the hospital bed. So the connection was uh, still there. I was uh, in the hospital for two months before she was born. And I'd been given in, you know, hospital rooms are stark. Um, so a friend brought me an orchid plant and I kept the plant alive because um, I had a previa. So the pregnancy was dangerous. I needed to be under medical care. So um, when she was born um, and after she gained weight a week later, we brought her home at a healthy 10 pounds and we brought the orchid plant, which I was very connected to home as well. And the interesting thing is um, when she died, the orchid plant died too. It lost its it bloomed in the hospital and it withered when she passed. Hmm. And um, so that connection, you know, the connection, the connection to of all living things, the connection to you right now, the connection that we share uh, was felt, but the enormity of the mystery um, the enormity of the pain that my, I, I believe my nervous system protected me. And perhaps it was because I wasn't able to, uh, you know, have a Xanax to take the edge off or have a glass <laughs> of wine at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, that it, it had it, to, it your did. system had to do something else yeah. with all of yeah. that. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing I, I imagine, but of course I have to, I, I have only one intersection with losing a child, which is that uh, a partner I had a child with cut me off from her for several years. Oh, um, I'm so and, sorry. Thank you. And actually that's probably the most wrenching grief I've personally experienced, um, just because there's such a feeling of not, completing what I signed up for, you know, um, et cetera. But, but um, the reason I bring that up is I imagine my way into your experience. And uh, in the case of my daughter, she was still going to become whoever she was going to become. And I knew that. 
even though I wasn't in contact with her. It seems to me when you when when a child dies, you lose all those pictures of what they what their life would have been. Yes. And yes. all of the imaginings of how they would develop and who they might be and all of that. It seems as if a um it's kind of a separate loss, a uh, connected but separate loss of that picture in your mind. Yes, yes. And um, it's that you see that is, is huge to be able to meet me there and imagine into that. Um, for a long time, I didn't dare imagine what she would have been like it took many years for me to think about um who she might have been you know mm -hmm. um and because it's, it's so painful to know you know and that, that that's part of the reason um i wrote giving grief meaning and created the name work because i literally lost her name kara there would be no more, uh, no more, Kara, Kara, um, can you come right. here for a second? Or no more happy birthday, Kara. Right. Nothing. So somebody suggested to me before I had my first child that, that if I was considering a name, I go on the back porch and scream it. You know, as if calling them home. Exactly. <laughs> to see how it felt. That's what you're talking about, aren't right. you? There That's... was no more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was yeah. gone. It was like poof, no more. Mm -hmm. She was just gone. And, you know, I clung to her name, Kara. It was spelled, it is spelled K A R A. And out of that clinging to her name, the qualities in the letters of her name began to emerge. And this is during the depths of my despair, the grief it affected my lungs. And I know you know a lot about how the body um, responds to grief through your work with um, Stephen Levine and my, my body, my lungs were chronic bronchitis and um, all I could do was really lie on my yoga mat and walk in the mountains when I could. And slowly the qualities in her name began to emerge. K-A-R-A. K is for kindness. You know, let me be kind to myself first, treat mm -hmm. myself with kindness so I can be kind to others in the environment. And eventually that would lead me to you know, where I am with you right now in this moment to be able to actually connect and be of service. But it started with putting the oxygen mask on myself first. And, um, and the A is for alignment. And when I say alignment, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, you know, just how grief can knock us off our center, you know, um, and being knocked off of that center, it's easy to want to throw in the towel. So the alignment for me meant 
acting as if. And when I say act as if, it's acting as if the world is aligned, acting as if um, I have the power to grow rather than shrink from adversity, um, acting as if it'll all work out. Um, and then the R in Kara is for regeneration. And that uh, means committing to practices of restoration, of regeneration, like mindfulness, like yoga, like taking the time to connect with my body and breath. And out of that place, out of that place of deep feeling, of not shying away from my pain, of facing the ache in my solar plexus, by facing whatever it is that is moving through this human body-mind, um, the process of healing is ignited. And then A is for action, taking what I learned out into the world of action, which again, that's what allowed uh, me to start the Kara Love Project, which is the uh, foundation we started in her honor. And um, what allows me to connect with you today from a centered place and what ultimately mm -hmm grew into the name work, I realized I could help other people use their own names or the names of someone they've loved and lost to move through stuck life circumstances. So there's a dictionary at the back of the, the book, which um, allows people to explore qualities and explore this work. Mm. What what comes to my mind is that uh, over the course of almost eight years, seven and a half years or so, and interviewing roughly 400 people, um, the work that people end up doing, the, the incredible things we end up writing or creating or come from, in my mind, what you have to do in grief. And it's not the same for different people. Some people have to write, other people can't write. Some people, you know, need to make music and others need to do this or that. But there's a drive in that space that, at least for me, always cleared away except what I absolutely had to do. Um, and I, th I think that you're a bit referring to that, that you needed to make some something, you needed a way to dive into uh, your grief and her name helped you do that. And then you offer it to other people. Yes. Yes. You've got it. Very good. <laughs> you, uh, you know, with this work, it either resonates or it doesn't. And um, clearly you can see, you know, that, that, that was my way in. And, um, you know, Maya, Maya Angelou writes, um, there is no greater pain than an untold story stuck inside of us. And, um, and that was, you know, I was just, I wanted to get it out. And I guess, you know, going back to the fog, you know, that, that fog, uh, there was a great, I had a great writer's block until, mm -hmm until I surrendered, until I surrendered to the practice, surrendered to the mat, surrendered to my breath, surrendered to my heartbeat, and th through, 
actually putting the tools I had learned into up-leveling my practice, really, through up-leveling, uh, up-leveling my practice, um, the work was able to come through me. It's time for our first break already. So let's come back to that after the break. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, as well as a link to purchase my novel, An Ocean Between Them. And to find Lily Doolin and her work and book and everything about her, you can go to www.lilydoolin.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lily Doolin, author of Giving Grief Meaning and also the creator of the Name Work Cards, Lily. Um, of course, I had to try them out, you know, since uh, I like to do a deep dive. <laughs> so I, I took my own, my own name out of it and came up with principles. But it's it's interesting since you have maybe – four to six principles that you've enumerated. Obviously, the people who use the cards could come up with their own or the people who use the principles. But what I noticed was I did it twice and they were um, different principles captured me on different days. I love that. I love that. That's be- and that, that's the beauty of the work. Um, do you mind sharing what the... or? Um, I know, but well, sometimes sure. we're yeah, yeah. Well, it, uh, what what um, 
drew me today. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Curious, helpful, emotion, reverent, yielding, and luminous. Oh, I love and, it. And what I kind of like about them in, in one sense is um, it forces you, uh, I'm pretty good at claiming my qualities, but a lot of people are not. And I would imagine that then they're forced to uh, um, recognize the qualities they bring to living, that sometimes I've noticed my clients, they ignore the things that are really such a deep part of them and pay attention to the problems, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, do you find that as well? Yeah, I think, um, and I don't know if it's a human tendency or, um, but, you know, it's, it's easy to become stuck in the problem rather than the solution. And I think the affirmations, just what you were saying, they can lead us into the solution, um, lead us into, um, you know, what's good and right and what's working for us. And they can also, the questions around the uh, affirmations can um, help us to go deeper um, with, it, it, with regards to our relationship to a particular quality. Um, mm. For example, um, you know, it, if we took like uh, centered for the C in Cheryl, uh, you could ask yourself, um, when do I feel most centered? When do I feel least centered? Was my childhood a centering experience? And then out of that place, you could begin to affirm um, in a way that is potently true without um, bypassing those important feelings. Mm. Yes. You know, I, some, of, some of my experiences with affirmation uh, have been great and others not so much. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones that seem pretend right? Mm -hmm. Trying to pretend your way as opposed to affirm something that you've yes. investigated um, don't resonate with me as much. Um, but, but your approach to it is not that at all. It's kind of how do you take a deep dive into what, what you have of the quality, what you want to nurture, what, you know, how do you kind of claim it a little bit more? And thank um, you for seeing that. Um, because affirmations, you know, have gotten a really bad, uh, a bad rap these days, really, um, because there are uh, those people um, who don't uh, really get the whole of uh, affirmative science that are pretending that all is rosy when it's not. And that's really not what um, affirmations have are about, you know, just what you were saying, you know, life is not bunny rabbits and roses all the time. Um, and, and life, yes, life can suck. But what affirmations help me do is affirmations say life can suck, but I'm not going to let life suck me under right now, because then mm -hmm. it's not worth living. And they gently guide me into, out of the problem, into the solution. And that's not saying that I don't feel whatever it is I'm feeling. Like I can say right now to you that I am 
I am pure love and you are pure love and we are, we are uh, co-creating awareness around grief in this moment just by virtue of having a, a discussion. Um, but I can also feel at the same time, I can hold space for that ache inside of me, that little girl that doesn't feel worthy, that doesn't feel loved or, um, or the part of me that might not feel loving. It doesn't mean it's yes and. It's being able to carry mm. the light and, and acknowledge the shadow. You know, I've encountered that a lot with this this dichotomy question or this um, how do we claim it all question in the process of being in the uh, time of the pandemic. Yes. Um, the people who were pretty good at, you know, sol solving problems and <laughs> who then suddenly had to sit in the insoluble. Yes. And... I just really noticed that many, many people, the people who I work with who had faced a really cataclysmic uh, time in their life, who had learned to accept whatever was going on in them, they, they actually did better. And the people that were more used to solving the problems and getting going really struggled at first. Yes. Um, because there was no solve for it. <laughs> There was That's no, right. uh, it just was, um, right. it really caught my attention. Um, because like you, I'm pretty good at saying, oh, okay, well, that's what's going on. Uh-huh. Let it come in. Okay. I'm having it Oh, Now it's leaving. Bye. You know, it's, yes. a, it's a more fluid process. Yes. And then I think, um, collectively we, Need, I mean, collect, everyone is going through grief now. And collectively, it's like we need to acknowledge, you know, the myth that there's solid ground beneath us, you know. We're, the earth, the tectonic plates, they move, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, you know, it may sound cliche, but the only constant is change. And the, the I guess the silver lining in what is, happened um, through the pandemic as it's, um, you know, forced us to see that we can't sweep things under the rug, that we need to acknowledge our humanness. We need to acknowledge our vulnerability. We need to acknowledge what aches, you know, inside of us as a collective. And, and you know, to me, that's the road towards healing and change. When we sweep things under the rug and we pretend like there's a fix, for everything, you know, that's when, you know, the problems emerge even worse. You know, I think we've, we've seen that with the violence and ignored problems tend to get bigger. Yeah. There was yeah. just another mass shooting right near where I live oh. today. Um, oh. Nine people, uh, oh, including, so including the person who was the shooter, of course, all the news outlets are saying eight people, but a ninth did die also, um, you know. And, and these situations and circumstances, they leave us shell-shocked and they can yes. numb us as a collective. You know, we, talk, I, we talked earlier about individual numbing. I think we're numb to so much as a collective. And 
I hope this time is showing us that we need to have more more people like you who are giving voice to uh, grief um, and giving voice to, you know, the myriad of ways that we can move in around and through it. And it's through having more conversations like these that um, change can happen, positive change on an individual and collective scale. Absolutely. I did want to talk a bit because I feel it's a very misunderstood thing how you can be grieving and moving forward at the same time. Mm -hmm. And for you, uh, while you were grieving Kara, you were also still trying to become a parent. Yes. Um, which you eventually did. And those kinds of um, crunches, I guess, <laughs> you know, yeah. those compressed spaces where we're doing two diametrically opposed things at one time, um, they sort of define grief in a way, right? Both, right. both are happening simultaneously. But yes. what was that like for you? to, uh, you know, knowing that you can lose a child, viscerally knowing that, what was it like to go forward um, continuing to try to become a parent? I like to say, um, I mean, yes, there was a moving forward, but I like to say, you know, see it more as a moving, a moving through while moving forward. You know, it's it's both. Um, it was very difficult. Um, it was very, very di difficult. Um, and I think the life force, you know, the life force moved through me and, you know, something greater than myself, that choice to grow rather than shrink uh, made made us both strong enough to, to, to move forward. And then um, I'm very grateful to my husband who um, was working a lot when Kara came into the world and then he shifted his focus and moved careers. Um, and he was really able to step up and to meet the part of me that was afraid of losing again and really embrace, you know, the mother archetype when it came to the nighttime uh, feeding. And because that was my greatest fear. Because you know. she, because of the fact that she died at night. Is yeah, that what Kara you died in her sleep? Yep. Mm -hmm. We woke up to this, unimaginable nightmare. Um, so it did, you know, it took me um, with, with our second child, um, the attachment happened right away. Um, it was a little bit dif dif more difficult with our older one. And there was a lot to work through, especially for those first um, tender few months. And luckily um, I connected with a local uh, Waldorf school and had a wonderful uh, teacher that helped um, shepherd me through uh, and shepherd us through uh, when Marcel was uh, 
five, six months. And I, I will forever be grateful for that time and forever grateful for the community of women who held our family um, and men uh, at the Waldorf School. Um, and I, I talk in my book, In Giving Grief Meaning, about the importance of finding community, the importance of cultivating community. And um, there is also a glossary of places that people and places that can, you know, uh, help you on your journey. And we can't do this alone. We, we, we have to connect. I, I think of that so much with people who are very isolated and afraid to make connection, how much harder grief is under those circumstances. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a part of grief that is quite solitary, but it's not com complete unless there's also community. As it, it, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I would have navigated without a sense of being held by others. Uh, and my losses. Yes, yes. And and to those uh, people who are listening, um, those of your listeners, uh, Cheryl, uh, you know, for people who are in that deep state of grief, um, I'm so, I feel very blessed that Michael Beckwith gave me a question early on. He said, Lily, you have a choice in this. You can choose to grow or shrink from the tragedy. And at that time, I just, it was like something went off. I decided to choose growth. And, it, and when feeling stuck, just to reaffirm, I choose growth. Mm -hmm. I'm growing, I'm unfolding, I'm changing, I'm transforming. Although it may feel very dark right now, I know there's light at the end of the tunnel. I may not see that light right now. I may not see it. I may be in the depths of my despair. It may feel meaningless to me, but there is light. I can acknowledge that there's light and there will be light again. And through that acknowledgement, through acting as if there was light, even when I didn't believe it, even when I couldn't see it, that's what pulled me through. And then clinging to the phrase, you know, the seed needs the darkness to change into new life. And I, I so believe in the butterfly metaphor, you know, the caterpill, caterpillar. It's butterfly. ready made, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about this earlier before we um, went live. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea, you know, it just hurts my heart. Like I saw a meme on Facebook, Instagram, you know, with basically an X through that metaphor, you know, with the picture of the caterpillar and the butterfly and saying, you know, that grief is not transformation. <laughs> but it is, whether we choose it or not, we're going to transform into uh, a butterfly that flies or will trans uh, the transformation will ultimately be the butterfly that doesn't, you know, have a stint the, at life. 
this really deserves more time. So we're going to go to a break and come back to it. And listeners, again, you can go to my website. That's www.weatheringgrief.com to find everything about me or the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find Lily Doolin, you can go to lilydoolin.com, D-U-L-A-N. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Lily Doolin, the author of Giving Grief Meaning. And Lily we were just starting to talk about the, <laughs> I guess we could put a lot of names to it, but sort of the um, resistance is futile uh, <laughs> part yeah. of the grief story that, you know, really we can't, it, it, it clobbers us if we try to get out of it, I find, for, right. for most people. I've known a couple of people who seem to be able to just move right forward, but... Um, I I always find that so hard to imagine, um, but I've met many people who tried everything they could to get out of going through it, and then eventually had to surrender. Um, yes, d- is that familiar to you and your work as well? Absolutely. You know, I find um, so many uh, when we don't pay attention to what we're feeling eventually it's like um, uh, Bessel uh, van der Kolk uh, says uh, the body keeps score and um, whether it's the emotional body of just being miserable like we were talking about earlier or having a host of physical ailments you know we can't push it away or it comes back in other ways and also more and more over, you know, my, my wife died 25 years ago, so it's um, I'm in the long-term grief world <laughs> here. Um, and more and more every year, I, I feel as if uh, not having these strong emotional experiences of loss would diminish us as human beings. Like that's where that's where all the stuff is, isn't it? <laughs> that's 
and including connection with other people. Um, you know, isn't that the deepest level of friendship when you help someone through a hard time? Yes. And it's all, you know, as Ramdas says, it's all grist for the mill, you know, without, there is light and shadow. And when we acknowledge, well, when I acknowledge both, you know, I'm, I'm the better for it. And, um, and this connection that, you know, we, we shared today through just this conversation and, um, you know, it takes, it, it takes me to a deeper, more potent place inside myself. You know, it's not like just false, the false joy that comes through escapism or chit chat, you know, this is real. And what makes it sweet is, is the all of it, the all of the experience. My favorite conversations are I couldn't have done this so long. Uh, mm. You know, because if you're able to talk about deep loss, you can talk about pretty much anything. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's what I notice. <laughs> but, you know, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Kara and the life, life of your daughters. Um, do they know about her? How do you, how do you hold, obviously you hold her in your work, yes. the books, the cards, the, but it, and you share her, her lived experience with your husband, but is there a way that your family as a whole, um, carries her with you? Um, yes. And I was actually talking the other day with a uh, a man who lost um, his son, and we were both saying, you know, maybe we keep our lost child too much with us. But you know, um, my daughter's first day of kindergarten, the teacher asked her, um, "Is there anyone who's not here with you today?" And um, she drew a picture of an angel and wrote Kara. And um, uh, she's with us. And um, one day uh, they will come to understand that fully. Um, her pictures are up. Her, lived, her life is up. You know, her, our foundation is named after her um and she's a part of our lives and I, I forget um is it constellation theory talks about uh how uh our daughter would actually be a middle child just even in birth order that um you know even though kara has passed that it's impossible uh you know she's a forever a part of our our lived experience whether we acknowledge it or or not you know it just seems too much to lose to me for the relationship we feel to end as well as the life that that's that i i don't think you can unless it's always sad 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 but mm -hmm. you're that's not true for you how can we uh, how can it be too much, if you will? Although 
that being said, my youngest is almost 28. The, the other two are older. And they do kind of roll their eyes sometimes. Um, you know, they sometimes think I talk about death a little bit too much. <laughs> but still, I'll take it because um, then I see how it communicates itself in their lives, that they're, um, they're very focused on what they want to do in their lives. They're very loving. You know, they're not wasting time. And, and you know, I think as a society, you know, I'm, we're together, we're shifting the paradigm, you know, that it's okay to talk about death and grief and that grief comes in many forms. I think COVID has shown us that, you know, that death can be the loss of a person. It can be the loss of a relationship, um, a job, possibilities through addiction, um, grief. Uh, the, the loss of being able to go to the restaurant. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a smaller <laughs> loss, but, you know, I, I've investigated all those smaller losses in, the, in this time, and they're not the same for different people, are they? They're not, but, you know, loss of routine um, is, it, it can be cataclysmic, you know, for some people. Sure. It, it, sure. And then we try to fix things and end up making them worse. <laughs> so often I, I, I uh, have to kind of put my head in my hands at the worseness that we can make things when we try to get out of. Uh, I hope that I won't have to apply that to coming out of pandemic too fast. I know, I right? Concerned. I think we're all, <laughs> we're just rushing. Have we, you know, we, rushing back into this doing. Um, I think it's, it's important. I'm glad you bring that up. It's just taking what we've learned, you know, and, and taking the feelings that have come up through this pandemic and, taking some of the space that we had and bringing it into the new world we find ourselves in. Um, I hope we can do better than, than going back to quote unquote normal. That's know, my, right? that's my hope that um, because challenge as you and I both know, challenge has the potential to change us in good ways too. Yes. And I, I think again, um, you know, it starts with having conversations like this. And I think more and more conversation, conversations like this need to happen and they need to happen now. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, uh, the woman I met who uh, did a, has a film uh, on, on suicide. And, you know, there need to be more films about the subject of death and change um, so that we can move forward, you know, as more compassionate beings. I think, you know, just we tend to numb ourselves out as a collective, um, you know, and I don't know, I don't have all the answers for that today, but I know that um, talking about it and making it, making the conversation, the, having the conversations get bigger. And um, it, it's a start because 
look at all the, the the violence that erupted, you know, that's 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 erupted um, from people pretending that you know hate doesn't exist, and then it rears its ugly head. And um, I'm so glad there are more conversations. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. It's it's amazing. This is a little bit of a uh, uh, of a leap, but it's amazing how many people I've interviewed over the course of the years on this show that'll say, I couldn't find any books, and so I had to write one. Mm. Um, so, and, and I always know there's hundreds of books, right? So there's something missing in terms of us, um, of the global conversation. Yes. The shared conversation. There are resources. You're feeling a loss. You're having a challenge. There are resources. Um, there's a disconnect. You don't, you, you don't, uh, know about them when a loss happens. You have to find them then. You had yes. a little head start, I imagine, with, with, um, doing clean and sober work, right? You had to delve. And I would say coming out as lesbian, I had to delve somewhat. I wasn't starting from scratch, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but, but still took a long time for me to, to find the resources I and needed. You, and you know what? I think everyone, you know, if the pandemic's taught us everything, people need grief resources. And I've had so many people um, say to me, oh, I, I bought your book for my aunt who lost um, her daughter or stories like that. And it's like, no, um, Giving Grief Meaning is a book for all people. Um, we we can't yes. live life, you know, um, and escape grief. And I think the more we can, as, as more people become willing to acknowledge their own pain and suffering their own grief, no matter what form it's taken in their individual lives, they become more compassionate. And through that mm -hmm. compassion, we can hold all beings, all beings as sacred, if you will, all beings. Lily, all that's, our heart. that's a, such a perfect way to end our show today. And I hope people will go look for your work at Lily Dulan, Dulan, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> .com. Um, uh, because I agree, let's not wait to learn about grief till we're in the in the thick. So thank That's you for being here. And next you. week, I'll have Hope is a Bright Star, a mother's memoir of love, loss, and learning to live again. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.